Hello and welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Ariana Cascone, and we're back today after a little break to get back onto our regular schedule. So I'm here today with Jeff Kasouf, and we'll be talking about big picture NWSL things, talking about the Challenge Cup, which is halfway through the group stage at this point, and then national team goalkeepers in the context of NWSL performance ahead of the World Cup for the U.S. specifically. So before we get into all that, how are we, Jeff? Doing well, doing well. I know uh, we've probably people are probably already screaming the Challenge Cup. Who cares? But that's what we're going to address. Yes, exactly right. So I know that we have talked a little bit about you know the importance of the Challenge Cup on this pod, and I think there was a little bit of speculation from us, um, you know, during that during that podcast, thinking about you know how are teams going to approach this? Will there just be a ton of rotation? Will some teams care more than others? And I think we sort of are starting to get answers to that, uh, given that we are sort of hugging along the group stage here. So um, why don't we talk about rotation first? Yeah, I mean, I think look, this is I and mean, we see this. I think globally that that cup competitions are really a place for rotation, and and some of that's by necessity. You see all these coaches talking about it. You know, the the scheduling here. It's inevitably in this part of the season, the Challenge Cup will become sort of the main thing in August, in late July and in August, because there's a World Cup going on, and most of the league will be gone. Certainly, all the top players will be gone. So, you know, but right now these are. Wednesday games fit in between weekends in, in which teams are playing. So they're really three-day game weeks. Several of these teams have had these, you know, more frequently than they would like. I know there have been some complaints about the technicalities um, from players of of the league saying no more midweek games, but that only applies to the regular season. You know, so so rotation is inherent here. It has to happen for, for basic reasons of of legs and fitness and stamina. And then it's also a chance to give players a, a shot. So I think, you know, we saw this on Wednesday, three games on Wednesday. We saw, I would say, relatively heavy rotation, certainly some players that we really haven't seen much of at all, some players we haven't seen at all in those games. And, you know, the we've talked about this, like the dichotomy of that and, and it being, I mean, let, let's be straight, just that alone, it is inherently a secondary competition. It is not the primary competition and yet it is the largest purse that we know of a million dollar prize uh spread out across the teams which we still don't have the exact distribution of that but as far as we know based on last year's numbers for prize money for challenge cup shield and championship this is the biggest prize and in a league where you know the minimum salary is what it is at thirty five thousand, and you know a, a prize here like a minimum salary player this is a you know, a bonus of 33% or whatever, however this shakes out could be more at this point. So um, it's a really interesting sort of space. I I don't know how the NWSL gets itself out of it after doubling down on this prize money uh, for it. So, you know, I I mean, you know, I've been critical of the Challenge Cup. I I think it's better than it was before. It was very clearly a preseason tournament previously. Teams treated it as such. We treated it as such. It is at least a cup competition now, but it's still, you know, I, I don't know how you make it 
more relevant beyond the financial. And, and obviously, as much as teams are going to want that money, much as they're going to want to win, period, because they're competitors, we see that they are treating it as the secondary competition. So, and then, you know, to our point here, it does make results a little bit difficult to sort of parse between and, and figure out like, what should we really make of these results? What should we make of, you know, O.O. Rain effectively blowing out the San Diego wave, right? Yeah, this is a question I think about a lot. And, you know, when we think about that rotation, um, I think, you know, I were talking about this a little bit offline. These sort of competitions really do favor the teams that can rotate. Um, and so if we think, you know, we're thinking about that, you know, the the West group um, or the West Coast group rather, and, and a team like Angel City, right? They just don't have the players to rotate. And so they are one of the teams that have played three games and, you know, they haven't won any of them. And granted, they're, they're also having struggles in the regular season. And for a team like Angel City or, you know, other teams that can't rotate, it's just sort of more games, more minutes on these players' legs. Um, and that's not necessarily a good thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think Angel City has, has struggled with depth from their inception. Obviously, they've dealt with injuries last year, again this year, some of them bleeding over into this year. But, you know, I think you look at the thorns and the rain historically traditionally yes the rain had you know a couple of struggle years certainly certainly their first year obviously which is a decade ago and then you know a little bit of the the transition between coaches but um traditionally and historically two of the the deepest teams two of the teams you would expect to perennial be perennial sort of contenders and you know i, I think you see that playing out where you've got players who um, if you're, you know, yes, you're rolling them out into to bigger sort of roles in these types of games, but they're players who, you know, you've put on the field, you've entrusted with some game time. I mean, you look at the Reigns lineup and I mean, I think you can look at the fullbacks on, on Wednesday, one of which scored, right? And, and mm-hmm. actually both of which were involved in that goal and say, okay, clearly you know, very inexperienced players getting time. But then you look and, you know, you see Ziara King, you know, you see Veronica Latsko, I mean, Olivia Athens starting in the the 10 role. And these are players who have had some level of time in the regular season, some level of time, you know, with the team game minutes period um, where, yes, I mean, on the other side of the field, that also existed. It wasn't like a totally, you know, San Diego didn't roll out their youth side, but certainly, um you know, I, I think you see a little bit more of a of an experience level, you know, like for like in terms of okay, the players who have rotated, the players who are not regulars who are suddenly entrusted in in this competition, that there's an experience level there. And I think that pays off in a three-nil result for the rain over the wave, especially in San Diego in, in a midweek game. And then, you know, Portland, um another funky game in Providence Park with Angel City, right? But you know, ultimately paying off. I mean, you've got Morgan Weaver scoring that stoppage time winner. They were up 2-0 in, in a game that changed very drastically. I mean, Izzy D'Aquila hits the, the crossbar. They go the other way. Alyssa Thompson gets taken down. Eventually, it's a PK via a, a VAR ruling and, uh, you know, or going to the going to the review tape and, and, and calling it a PK. And, you know, suddenly 3-1 becomes 2-2, right? So, um but I, I think that you can attribute some of that to to an experience level and a depth that, 
you know, I think San Diego has to a degree. I don't think Angel City has, has necessarily figured out. And then obviously the the bigger thing, if we are looking at trends that that sort of do hold up regardless of competition, is obviously that Angel City just can't close out games. They can't finish games. They they have not been able to put together 90-minute performances. And, you know, it is it has cost them dearly from, you know, both leading positions and chasing games and and you know, all in one, obviously, right? On on Wednesday with um, clawing back to get two two, and then yet again giving up a stoppage time goal in Portland mm-hmm. uh, to to an audacious effort, not from a goalkeeper this time, but still a memorable one. Yes, um, that that's a really good point, actually, about Angel City, and you know I, I've written about this too that they just they can't close out games, and it doesn't seem to matter if it's Challenge Cup or regular season. Um, but when you mentioned that part about you know entrusting players who potentially haven't had time on the field yet this season in the regular season at least you know San Diego OL Reign Portland and Angel City were actually running out their you know number two goalkeepers in in these matches last night and if we think about uh Chicago and racing they actually did play their number one so Sonair and, and Katie Lund but I think and I've said this before you know on, on the first Challenge Cup podcast I think a really good position to rotate in Challenge Cup is goalkeeping um and, you know, there's kind of nothing like game reps. And we say that for players on the field, uh, you know, players that are not goalkeepers, I mean, <laughs> field players. But, you know, I, I think if, I guess I just don't see a reason why not to play your, I guess, backup. Um, maybe in, in the case of San Diego, uh, they don't want to lose 3 nothing. Uh, so, that's maybe a reason not to, but like you're saying, you know, there was rotation on other, other positions on the field. So it's not just coming down to that one keeper, but you know, I think if I were making decisions, it would kind of be a no brainer to, to get younger players, especially goalkeepers in if thinking through challenge cup rotation. Yeah. I mean, look, there's no denying that that goalkeeping played a role certainly in that Portland angel city game. Right. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do think that the ball played in by D'Aquila was was difficult right on that opener for for the thorns at Vasconcelo scores but I, I don't think there's a person in the world that would argue that it was misplayed mishandled by Brittany Eisenhower who's not gotten a ton of time in net for Angel City comes all the way to the top of her 18 to claim it does not get there has a collision with Madison Hammond and and Vasconcelos heads it in and you know is, is just caught in 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 the middle of nowhere right and um, you could see even on the stream at halftime, Angel City's goalkeeper coach, Daniel Ball, talking to her as they walked off. I'm sure that was the conversation, right? Um, I don't think that's one she'll forget. And, and you know, again, back to the point of this competition, like this is where you're going to get those reps. You're not going to get those in training. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, you're not going to get those in the regular season. You're definitely not going to get those in the regular season for the league's most high-profile team sitting in 10th place, struggling and trying to chase points, right? They're, they're going to play Didi Harachich, who's been overall very good, you know, this most of last year and this year, um, maybe despite even some challenges in front of her. So, um, you know, th- this is a place for, and I, I think in Chicago, you know, you look at where the Red Stars and where Racing Louisville is at, Louisville finally putting together a bit of a stretch here across all competitions. I think for both of them, I wouldn't be surprised if a piece of that was just trying to get some momentum. I mean, we've talked about it. The Red Stars have been awful, defensively especially. So, 
you know, to be coming off a, a surprise result uh, of sorts in, in the regular season, um, maybe not a surprise result, but a, a good result, you know, to be coming off of that, to try to gain some momentum, to try to get people on the same page in a way that they really have not in any consistent way this season. I could see why, you know, you keep together up most of the back line, which is what they did along with, you know, along with Alyssa Nair and, and same for Louisville, uh, at least with Katie London net. And obviously, you know, Louisville now um, put this together. I mean, the two, no victory, I thought they were, you know, largely dominant again, you know, much of the, what I just referenced, I mean, much of what Chicago did on Wednesday, same as a Sunday. I mean, I, the, the result against the Orlando pride was, you know, kiss the crossbar or thank Alyssa Nair. I mean, very much to me, not just statistically, but but even if you look at the flow of play there in the wide channels, all Orlando. And, you know, I, I think if you're Chicago, you're just looking for some level of of turning the corner. And that's probably part of, you know, let's keep some of this group together, um, at least in the back line where you've struggled so much. Yeah, that's another good point. I mean, it's sort of a double-edged sword, though, right? Because as we're talking about, these games are plopped midweek there are games this weekend so it's sort of I guess having to weigh weigh these things in a way like do we want to maintain momentum in in this way running out the same players during a midweek challenge cup game and then they're going to be having to play you know recover very quickly play for what is potentially a more meaningful match um if we think about the regular season standings right so I don't know. It, I, I just keep going back and forth. It is almost like a double-edged sword in, in every aspect when I think about Challenge Cup and trying to weigh it against regular season. Well, look, I mean, the regular season matters more. <laughs> let's, let's be serious. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, I think that's true, but I think this sort of this price tag can... Yeah. It, it It's almost like cognitive dissonance for me. It, it's a ton of money for, for these players, especially the ones that are you know on that minimum salary, as you mentioned. So... I would imagine, or I, you know, the optimist in me says that maybe the shield and or the championship will result in more money. But at this point, I I don't think we can say that. So, yeah, I mean, we can't say it officially. Yeah, we (laughs) can't say it officially. I I would bet that folks at the league are making the bet that by upping this, it will force the hand of others to up the rest. Right. 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 But I think we've heard some of the players. I mean, I I think I'm I'm right in saying this off the cuff here that like Jess Fishlock has at least tweeted about it, you know, regarding the, the dissonance and the prize money um, and, and just the value of the shield of the championship. Like, you know, uh, to your point, I mean, these two teams we're talking about winning midweek, we've got a double header rain thorns with Sounders timbers, huge match, right. Expected huge crowd big in the standings, big in the rivalry front, you know, that is Saturday night in the regular season, two teams chasing, you know, at the top of the table, very crowded top of the table. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I would put it this way, right? Like anybody listening, I mean, maybe because of the recency that this tournament is so new, but you know, a few years from now, five, 10 years from now, are you going to be able to name the challenge cup winner? Right, like I, mean, <laughs> I probably will not. I will just be honest. Um, so that that's a good point. That's a really good point. I mean, I can go through the years and name, you know, NWSL champions and, and remember the stadium we were in covering the game and remember how that game went. And you know, the Challenge Cup. Eh, I mean, you know, I remember last year's because it happened last year. Sure, you know, we've only had this tournament for a few years, but you know, this is um, 
as it stands. And I think this is going to need to continue to be evolved and, and evolved in, in who knows what way. I mean, if they shift the calendar, maybe this is the, the gap bridging in the, you know, the spring and summer, um, you know, maybe there's a way, I, I still think there's a better way through here, or at least a way where you focus more on one. We've got another, we've got a challenger pro league that we've talked about on this pod coming. So hopefully there's a looming open cup. I think that's far more compelling than a challenge cup because there's some real, some real bragging rights there. Um, and that's obviously goes beyond the league's borders and, and same thing for, you know, I'd love to see like a Liga MX crossover competition of some real value and, and substance, but um, you know, I think we've seen the challenges of that and maybe it being a little bit gimmicky on, on the MLS front. And um, you know, obviously how does that incorporate or is it the same? Is it different from, you know, a proper CONCACAF champions league, which I'd love to see as well. So, you know, all of those things, if executed correctly are more compelling to me than a, a straight challenge cup, which is just an elongated playoffs, the way this league operates. Right. So, um, you know, I, I'm interested to see where this goes in a few years, but you know, we're not going to have those answers for a bit. I, I do, I do have hope, maybe very romantic optimism that, you know, we'll get an open cup. Once we get a super league, we will get, a, a CONCACAF Champions League that, you know, even if it's weighted heavily towards U.S. and Mexico teams and, and maybe Canada and Canada starting a pro league, like even if that is weighted heavily, at least it gives us that sort of continental competition. Like I'm looking forward to those is 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 what I, where I'm at. But um, somebody's got to toss a million dollars at those, I guess. That's true. And, you know, that is to me, that's a little bit more exciting than these these challenge up games, which are essentially just adding some teams are having to play like, you know, Racing Louisville and Kansas City. They played, didn't they play back to back like three game, three days in between the games? <laughs> yeah, Kansas City and Louisville the other week. Yeah, yeah, yes. back to back so, four days. Yeah, this, so this is just, you know, sort of, uh, that is to say that I agree with you. Um, and that does seem a little bit more enticing to me too. So that feels like a really good place to just take a quick break. Uh, and then we will come back and talk NWSL goalkeeping. Okay, and we're back to dive into the second half of the episode, which we'll talk some more about goalkeeping in the NWSL, which we sort of started to uh, in the first half, but I will hand it off to you, Jeff, to get us started. Yeah, look, I mean, I think we're at that point. I mean, we'll, we've got a bit more, uh, we'll have a bit more in detail on the on the site on equalizersoccer.com um, as we do these sort of form index U.S. Women's National Team roster check-ins by position and and goalkeeper is sort of, you know, it's it's one that I think is is rightfully in the spotlight, right? Because right now we're we're in this interesting spot where, you know, the U.S. really doesn't have a an informed goalkeeper and somebody from somewhere, maybe maybe from Louisville or from uh, I don't know Seattle is is yelling something about that, but at this point, which is you know, let's say roughly a month where we're a matter of weeks from the roster being named for the U S and we've already got rosters for England, for Portugal, who's in the U S group. Like that's how tangibly close we are to the world cup. You're not bringing in zero cap players, right? So we've got four goalkeepers for three spots is, is really where we're at. So, um, 
and and you look around at at how they performed and and some of them are on some teams that have been very bad so far right and and i think it's a tough position because the form matters um league form matters but you know league form doesn't always necessarily translate to the international stage and and that cuts both ways a great league player might not be a great international player whether that's goalkeeper or not and and maybe you know you have to look at circumstance and say okay well here like let's let's look at a listener who's been the number 1 for some time maybe that's been called into question over the past year and you know we've got a listener playing for the worst team in the league right and the team that has uh well they they've pulled off bottom by one point by way of of the weekend win and and you know but the team that has given up uh the most goals, mostly by far, uh, Kansas City has sort of given them a run for their money on that. But, you know, so how much of that is a product of the team? How much of that is on the goalkeeper? And and Nair has not been – she's she's not unfamiliar to this position, right? I mean, she played for the Boston Breakers. She, she was the goalkeeper of the year for making a record number of saves in a season in which Boston also gave up the most goals. It was It was ridiculous. And I actually – I mean, I actually supported that vote in the sense that I thought she was the best goalkeeper who, you know, it could have been even far, far worse the way that Boston played in that era. Right. So Mm -hmm. here we are with kind of a repeat scenario in Chicago and you look at, you know, you look at the four that we're talking about in contention for three, and that's Alyssa Nair, Casey Murphy, Adriana French, and uh, Aubrey Kingsbury. And, you know, you look at the bottom of the table and it's, it's Chicago and Kansas city at the bottom. That's Nair and French, you know, French has obviously been in and out of the lineup as as Kansas City juggles defensive issues, personnel issues, coaching change. And, you know, I do think that there are some really fair questions about, you know, not just what is this going to look like for the U.S. come July, but, um, you know, who who who's it going to be at the three, I guess? Who's it going to be at the one, really? I don't know if that's – it is a question. I don't know if it's as, as dire of a question as maybe the form suggests, but – I think that there are some some questions for for the U.S. and net in a way that we're really not used to. I mean, you go from Scurry to Solo. I, th- I hope we've moved on from all of those comparisons. In 2019, Nair really dealt with, I would say, um, the level of it was probably unfair, an unfair level of scrutiny that compared her to Solo. I mean, the comparisons are inevitable, but the way it, the way it sort of developed in in our lovely media world – um, was probably unfair, but like, you know, now we're at this point where oh, there hasn't been this level of uncertainty before in that position. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think it's a little bit, I don't want to say, you know, the alarm bells are on more so because of this, but maybe um, there are just lots of questions about the national team. <laughs> and I think we haven't had this many questions just across the board, right? I think you and I on on a previous episode, we were sort of just running through the questions of like, oh, you know, and as we're talking, it's like, oh, that's another thing that we don't know. Like the midfielders, um, who's going to start in the back? Who are the two, you know, the two center backs? Uh, and, and, you know, more questions when Mallory Swanson was injured, right? So I think in the context of all of those other things, it kind of makes this goalkeeping situation seem maybe more dire than it actually is. Um, I don't know if that I don't know if, if you'd agree with that or not, but, um, you know. Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's it's before a World Cup. It's the U.S. I mean, I, you know, we've been through this enough times, right? Mm-hmm. Enough cycles of, like, it's it's always a lot of 
you know, questioning everything. Um, in 19, I would say that was more nitpicking because it was very much that this was the clear favorite team with plenty of talent. In 2023, this is the team with plenty of injuries, huge turnover, uncertainty even, you know, around a number of roster spots, you know, in a way that I don't, I don't recall in terms of volume or scale of those, you know, happening in the past. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just, it's all sort of compounded into, okay, there's plenty of questions and and this is yet another prominent one. Right. And um, I, I mean, if I had to predict right now, and, and I don't think that this necessarily totally jives with just league form, because I think on league form, and I know you've got the stats, I think we should, we should give those to listeners, but like, Aubrey Kingsbury is probably your best performer right now uh, among the four for her club. She's also realistically, and I know people don't you know like this sort of in, in the blunt way, but like realistically she's fighting with France for the third spot, right? Like Nair and, and Murphy have been given the reps, have gone through the motions, have gotten the experience, experience that Vlakononovsky has talked about wanting, has talked about referencing French going into that Olympic semifinal two years ago without any experience and it's showing and him, you know, he says he learned from that. He wants his goalkeepers to have reps. So the number one and even the number two is not going to be uh, an extremely low cap player. Like there's, that's why Murphy played through qualifying. That's why she got starts throughout, you know, summer and fall and last year. So, you know, I think we're probably looking at, despite that, despite maybe saying, well, Kingsbury is the best in the league right now. You know, I think we're probably talking their number one, you know, when the time comes because of the experience, because I don't think everything, you know, she's made mistakes in goal. Yes. I don't think everything that's happened. I don't, I don't look at Chicago and say 22 goals conceded and say, that's Alyssa Nair's fault. I mean, there's, you know, a number of things happening there. Um, and I think the experience will prevail, especially once they get into camp, you know, and, and then you're talking about Murphy and then, you know, the number three goalkeeper being someone who, very likely, almost certainly, based on history and statistics, will not play. What does that mean? Maybe you're talking experience again. Maybe you're talking some intangibles. And and I think you might, um, despite you know what looks like some really bad form and getting benched and all of these things, it could still be French. But I think yeah. those numbers are important too. I think so too. And you know, like you said, uh, Aubrey Kingsbury potentially being the best statistically. I mean, so I just I'm taking a look at American Soccer Analysis. Um, you know goalkeeper table here and when we think about goals conceded minus expected goals faced right we want that those values to be negative and of the four goalkeepers that we're sort of talking about right now Aubrey Kingsbury is the only one with a negative value right so she's at negative um, 0.06 per 96 so per we can think of that per game Um, and then you know out of that pool the next one is Casey Murphy with 0.03 so these are I mean you know, small Casey Murphy's value is positive, but it's pretty close to zero. <laughs> um, and then Alyssa Nair, right? And then Adriana French is actually second worst, second to or second to last, excuse me, in the league. Uh, only better than Carly Nelson, who only played 98 minutes. So, you know, I think that this is important, uh, you know, thinking about their performance on paper, but it is also worth mentioning that. Goalkeeping statistics are pretty noisy until, you know, keepers are facing a large volume of shots. And so, you know, in the beginning of the season, I'm even guilty of this. I was sort of, I was very low on a listener. I was just, 
you know, kept saying she's doing very, very poorly. And, and, you know, now she's kind of right in the middle of this table of all goalkeepers. So it's not like, like sort of what you said, 22 goals conceded. That's not all Alyssa Nair's fault. Um, and so, you know, we think about regression to the mean performances of, of each of these players and, you know, they're on, they're in the national team conversation for a reason. So it's not like they're bad. I think realistically going with any of the top three, probably, you know, any of the three keepers, I mean, would probably put us in a pretty good position. Um, it's not like we're picking between, you know, goalkeepers who are, who, who don't deserve to be there or something like that. Right. So it's very fine margins. Yeah. And to your point about, you know, the third goalkeeper not playing, I mean, that's very likely true. So are they're likely being brought into the group for other reasons, uh, locker room reasons, things of that nature, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, there's obviously a ton of uh, that goes on behind the scenes, you know, in, in training and whatnot. So, I mean, I think that, you know, it's going to be interesting for sure. I don't know exactly where where that's going to go in terms of, of Lakonanovsky's decision right now, obviously, you know, not alone in that decision, us does have a goalkeeper coach, a dedicated goalkeeper coach. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it, it is though. I mean, like I said, it's, it's a place that I don't think we're totally used to. And I think that adds to a little bit of the, you know, the, the hand wringing a little bit. Right. I mean, I think, I'm going to plea my colleagues across the the country and globe. We've got to move on from, you know, the the shadow of Hope Solo and even Bryce Curry and, um, you know, of of casting that over everybody that steps into net. But you know, I think it's an appropriate reference point to a degree. It's not like it, it can't be like the only thing that we are are talking about. But sure, in the terms of you know this being a position that was always solid, that was always reliable and a known entity and and those created problems in their own right i mean we're talking about problems of not knowing who it'll be in the past the problem was you know something i alluded to before where it was like well hope solo starts every friendly every competitive game and then you know she gets hurt she's absent for other reasons in that period and what happens you've got you know a lack of experience stepping into potentially big games anyway and and that happened in in those scenarios because she just always played right. So, um, I I think you could, you know, you could probably as you used the double edged sword term before. I mean, you could always scrutinize something here, but I, I think that, you know, this is. Um, whereas in 2019, I think that there was some sort of really like, I don't, I don't know if it was, um, you know, made up in in some way, but like I think there was a lot of sort of artificial concern about Nair and net that was, that was sort of created from the outside. I think in 2023, there's a more authentic concern about just what is happening at the position, you know, in general. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think it's amplified given some of the other questions that a lot of us have about, you know, what the lineups will look like and even who will be named to the roster. So. Yeah. Here Stay tuned, I guess, as we all are a few weeks from now. So, Yes. Okay. Well, that feels like a really good place to stop. So we'll call it just like that. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, and of course, thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. For The Equalizer, I'm Ariana Cascone, and we'll be back soon with more on The Equalizer podcast. 